if you can imagine trying to, you know, fight a sumo wrestler in a boxing ring, it's not going to work because the guy might be slow, but eventually he'll get here. He'll corner you somewhere and you're going to lose. And so, you know, you play in that kind of agile space, you take advantage of its speed and nimbleness and agility to be able to do that. And that's where, you know, smaller operators tend to win. This is Super Fast Business with James Schramko. James Helping you build your business super fast. James Ramco here. Welcome back to superfastbusiness.com. This is episode 879. Today we're going to be talking about the classic old concept of differentiation. You may know it as other terms like USP, unique selling proposition, POD, point of difference. Speaking of different, I'd love to welcome my friend Can Juan from socialwave.com.au. Welcome to the call. Thanks for having me, James. Now, I probably threw you with a different there, but we're filming this with video and I can see you've put quite a lot of work into your elaborate studio setup there. And I just wanted to commend you on that because for me, it definitely makes a difference to the visual. And I think that speaks volumes to this topic today. It's something that people would actually notice and you stand out. So as we look at our videos side by side, I can see we've got a nice little complement of <laughs> pinkish purple from you, and I've got a sort of an aqua blue from me. I think we're the old cyan-magenta printing combo. <laughs> On a serious note, though, we can't blend into the crowd. We can't just be part of the noise anymore. And as more people seem to be discovering this online genre of doing business, it's like more people coming to the party. I mean, case in point, this podcast, this is episode 879. When I started podcasting a decade ago, there weren't that many podcasts. I was easily able to get into top 10 and it was kind of a new thing. It was a bit difficult to figure out. I had great cut through. I just kept doing it. A lot of people came and went. There's been so many people trying to do a podcast. I still have to spice it up. I've got to innovate. I've got to get better mic, get a better sound, get better studio backdrops, have better guests, ask better questions, navigate my business around the constantly changing landscape of the internet. So it is a familiar topic to me, but also one close to my heart. And I'll just tell you this last story and then we'll head over to your thoughts on this. When I had a job and when I was going to come online and when I got to that day where I went up to my boss's office, the owner of the business, and I said to him, thank you so much for the opportunity. Working here has been tremendous. I've enjoyed it. We've got the results. I appreciate everything. And I'm going to be leaving. And it was like, it was scary as hell, really scary. But it was also a pivotal moment in my life, like a massive. I dreamt of quitting my job for years. Not so much because I hated my job, but because I realized it was holding me back, holding me back from this, doing what I love. And I made a commitment to myself based on something that I'd learned from Peter Drucker. And that was that the way that you run your business is going to be coming down to two things, marketing and innovation. We talk a lot about marketing on this episode because of the nature of what we do. You're an advertising agency, so to speak, services agency providing businesses with services. I'm a marketer, but I'm also an innovator. I've been innovating, even though the podcast has been here, it's changed over time. But there's probably no time like right now where you need to innovate. The whole world has been flipped on its head since March 2020 to time of recording. The way people do business, the way people live has changed. I just got back from the shops where I scanned in and masked up and sanitized and stayed away from people. That's the way we do things now. So what can we do to make sure that we stand out in this constantly changing environment? That's really what we're going to be talking about today. 
And I think you've got some great insights for us, Can. So I'm going to hand over the mic to you just to let us introduce into this. Sure. Thanks, James. And I think the best place I'd like to start with this particular topic is around the features versus benefits argument, which is that a lot of business owners and people doing marketing are primarily focused on marketing their features. When I say features, whether or not you're a service-based business or your product-based business, you're talking about the things like, oh, we've had decades of experience or you know, we're certified or we're qualified in this aspect or we're insured. The problem with competing on features as opposed to benefits or brand is usually because of the fact that most of the time, most things don't remain static. And what I mean by that is that whilst you may be in first place or you may be doing really well right now, but along comes a challenger brand, someone who comes along, someone new, someone innovative, as you mentioned, doing things very differently. We look at companies like you know Airbnb who go out there and you know have flipped the entire accommodation sector upside down and hotels are starting to get a little worried with what they're doing. And so if you're trying to compete on features, it's a bit of a losing battle, right? On the flip side, if you were to focus on things around branding, storytelling, building your reputation, your character and your personality, you know, it's kind of that classic, you know, humans civilization actually built on, you know, storytelling. It was like around the campfire, you guys would tell stories and that would allow you to round up people, build communities, build a following. And that hasn't changed. It's just that the platforms that we use to do that is forever changing. You know, uh, used to be TV and radio. Now it's, you know, obviously social media, YouTube, then it's probably TikTok and who knows what else there is out there. And so what I'm trying to get at is that if you focus in terms of differentiation around a story about the reason why you do business and how you came about it, that will fundamentally help shift, you know, the results in terms of what you do with marketing to differentiate yourself and something that people can't necessarily compete with, which is why we call it essentially a moat. And so it's just steering away from that proverbial sea of sameness is what uh, I've heard that sort of terminology, which is you all look the same. And most people play in a space where it's a very homogenous industry. They are essentially all cookie cutters and they look exactly the same. So how do you stick out? And I think where that starts is usually branding and storytelling. It's sort of interesting when you think of franchises, that's literally the thing that they're not allowed to change. Right. If you buy a franchise into a sandwich store, you have to use their knife, you have to use their supplies, you have to use their logos in a certain way. Same, I came from Mercedes-Benz. They were extremely strict on brand guidelines and design brand lines. And we had to stay in our lane. So it was actually hard when you were competing with people who were sort of an average 10-minute drive away could sell the exact same product. So we had to develop stories behind each of you know the history of how we became a dealer and what it means to be a client of our business versus the other dealers. So we had to sub story beyond the brand. And the brand itself was it had an amazing story. It was talking about these two dudes who independently were sort of inventing combustion engine vehicles and patented it and pretty much had the world's first combustion engine vehicle and then rolled out. And then um, Carl Jelinek decided to import them into America and his daughter's name was Mercedes. And that's where that sort of came into the play. And such an interesting backstory. So we had to use stories a lot. And I think when people go to buy a vehicle, for example, they're telling themselves a little story about where they fit into that big story. That If you buy a Mercedes-Benz, there's definitely a narrative going on in your mind about what that means at your juncture in life. And we were super conscious of that when we were selling. And we had to make sure our story was better than the competitive story, better than the Jaguar story or the BMW story, or especially my favorite, the Lexus story. And that story is really, I'll summarize it into a bullet point or two. It's Toyota deciding they'll compete in America, so they invent a brand called Luxury Export US. This is on Wikipedia, so you can look it up. That's my source. 
and they decided to differentiate from being a plain old Toyota and they'll stick some similar gear, similar sort of window switches and some engines are shared with the Toyota range into a new label or brand and they tell a story and they make it quite different to just a regular Toyota. Well, they certainly tried to. It was easy to sell against that, by the way. Now, competing on features, that's my classic. I remember listening to an audio cassette. You probably don't remember what those are, Can, but there were these little things that wound one tape from one reel to the other reel. And it was a sales cassette and it was talking about not product dumping. A lot of people, when they sell physical things, they just feature dump. They just say it does this, it does that, it does this, it does that, but they're missing the point of why someone wants it and what result they're looking for and how they integrate that into the discussion. So let's bring it back to the online world. What's an example of someone who's competing on features in the online space that we might be able to relate to? If you can think of any examples you've seen or obviously you can anonymize it, but help us recognize when we see someone selling on features. Well, some examples of features, I mean, I know software companies are very well known for really driving home the features. It's like seamless API integrations and, you know, whatever SSL certification, because we're super secure and just crap that people don't really care about. And hardware companies too, you know, it's got these gigabytes and that size hertz screen and this, that and the other processors. Yeah. Okay. An example of someone who's using a storytelling approach. I'll answer first, Apple. (laughs) There you go. Apple's a great example. I think a little bit more esoteric is if you just look at, you know, I'm a big fan, like I said, of YouTubers, a YouTuber by the name of Ryan Serhant. If anyone is in the property game or the real estate game, he's probably considered the most well-known real estate agent, you know, in the world. He's based in New York. He follows the playbook of doing a daily or a weekly vlog and talks about different things. He talks about his philosophy, how he runs businesses. He does, you know, walkthroughs of luxurious properties in and around the US. And he basically is a personality. And off the back of that, he's been able to, I suppose, with his personal branding and his storytelling, being able to monetize that in very different ways. And it's an online training course called Sell It Like Sirhan. You know, he's obviously got his uh, real estate brokerage, which is where he actually transacts property, but a whole range of other stuff. I'm sure he's monetizing his YouTube channel as a revenue source as well. It sounds a bit like Grant Cardone as well. He's using stories of his jet and his luxury vehicles, and he uses physical props like stacks of cash in some of his advertising features. And he's got a very strong tribe, just like you would expect from story. You mentioned storytelling around the campfire, which is interesting because I was talking to a client of mine who was trying to decide whether they get an intern or a full-timer. And I said, if you get interns, it's like every time you come to the campfire, you've got to hand out the song sheet and teach them how to play the song. Once you've got full-timers in your business, then anyone can rock up and join and they'll all be singing Kumbaya in no time at all. And if (laughs) someone goes and someone comes, then they'll all still know the song off by heart. You don't have to hand out the sheet music anymore. And he dared me to use it in a podcast. So there we go. Tick that one off. You have full-timers, you'll be able to sing Kumbaya around the campfire. Now, what other things are important in terms of when we're thinking about this approach of differentiating from our story or branding? What if we don't have an interesting story or our brand isn't really that special? Do we have to spend $25,000 on a logo? These are sort of questions that come to my mind. Yeah, definitely. I think coming from a guy who, you know, by trade actually spends a lot of time on brand with people. I actually don't emphasize actually all that much importance on brand or necessarily name. I know it's a bit contrarian, but it's almost as if, I mean, social work, I'll be quite honest. We spent probably, I want to say 20 minutes deciding on the name and another 10 minutes designing the logo. 
And part of that is because it's more about the affinity with the brand as opposed to the brand itself. So meaning, you know, if you look at guys like Apple or Google, you know, these names, if they weren't household names, it wouldn't mean anything to anyone. And so what's really important is actually to actually build that following and to create, you know, content and to tell stories so that people have an affinity with the brand. I mean, the name is arbitrary, the design is arbitrary, that can evolve. I mean, the number of times you see big businesses actually rebrand themselves, you know, they come out with new logos. I think Coca-Cola does it every single year, you know, with their bottles, for example. Sometimes they change flavors too. They do, yeah, a little bit of vanilla and cherry. Bit of discussion at time of recording this, I think Facebook's coming out with a new name, Um, but I think that's for the parent company. It is an interesting one. Like, it's true what you say. You've got to invest in people knowing the brand. I remember listening to Seth Godin and he was talking about some of these short brandable names. They're harder to get off the ground, but once they're going, everyone knows what it is. Examples. These are brand names that mean nothing unless you know the story or have context. Yahoo, Apple, Amazon, Google, Zero. This goes on. These one word brandable domains are super valuable once people know what they are. Big time. I mean, even Uber. And I think at least in Silicon Valley, the big thing is that when your name becomes a verb, that's when you know you've made it, you know? Right. That's it. They were trying to convince us in about 1993, I was working at Vodafone and they were trying to get us to call a mobile phone a Vodafone. They were trying to make it a verb, but it didn't stick. Too many syllables. (laughs) But yeah, I think they were saying in the UK that digital phones were called Vodafones, but it didn't stick in Australia. And Even in the US, they call them cell phones. So it was going to be a hard sell. A nice try, guys. Didn't work. (laughs) But yeah, it comes up so much. I mean, even in that phase right now, I've got some arguably reasonable brands to build on now with super fast business. For me, that's actually feeling a bit long and clunky. It was really great when I started it in 2006 or seven. It seems a bit long and I feel like I've outgrown it now. I've got other brands like Silver Circle, which is quite a premium brand. It's my sort of version of Mercedes-Benz. But I also own the name James.co and I think that could potentially be quite a strong brand as just a simple brand. I'd have to put the work in putting a story behind people knowing what that actually means. And it's quite ambitious because it's a pretty popular name. Definitely. And I think you know, even companies like, for example, more recently, I know of like, you know, like you mentioned Zero. it doesn't really mean anything unless you know what the brand is. <laughs> um, companies like Bench. It's a bit of a nice pun there. Yeah, exactly right. But even, I mean, Bench, which is a well-known bookkeeping brand, you know, they're just a very classic business, but they've just modeled themselves very much so in that kind of tech sphere as well, or tech style of branding. Again, just, you know, very well known. Had you not known about it and they not driven a lot of that awareness, that brand, you wouldn't know what it is. But I think the other thing that I'm sure the audience probably wants to know is that, I mean, we talk about these brands out there and they're all big corporate multinationals and they have deep pockets. And I know with, you know, your audience, James, that a lot of that is budget conscious, you know, like they've got a finite amount of resources and capital and whatever you, you know, want to invest in, in building your brand and building your strategy. And I think if you're going to actually try and compete against the giants and the incumbents, and you overlap strongly with them on the features, you're going to lose because they're going to outspend you. Some of them even buy you out if you're a real threat, if you're really good at what you do. Well, that'd be ideal, wouldn't it? Just get in there and get in up in their grill. That's right. And just get them to buy you to get rid of you. That's right. You know, <laughs> gobble you up. Yeah, some of the little guys can do that. Yeah, you're right. Most of the people listening to this that don't have a publicly listed business, they don't have rounds of investment tranches feeding that machine. They're just privately held businesses for the most part, usually self-funded or some kind of gearing, but 
You're right. And we've talked about design on this show before. We've talked about branding. We've talked about storytelling many times. We're getting the hang of it. But hopefully the message is getting through. So you're saying like, don't try and get straight onto the freeway and stare down a semi-trailer because they'll just flatten you. You've got to find your own lane to play in where you won't get squashed, but you can still travel. That's right. It's like if you can imagine trying to, you know, fight a sumo wrestler in a boxing ring, it's not going to work because the guy might be slow, but eventually he'll get here. He'll corner you somewhere and you're going to lose. And so, you know, you play in that kind of agile space, you take advantage with speed and nimbleness and agility to be able to do that. And that's where, you know, smaller operators tend to win. And I always say to my clients is that it's not so much about the tactics, you know, like which platform should I be on? How frequently should I post? What time is the best time to post? Instead, worry about, I talk about three pillars or themes of content or storytelling you should be talking about, which is your target audience. Once you have a clear understanding of how they make decisions buying, what are their pain points? What is it that they need to know? And then what are the frequently asked questions? I mean, those three things fundamentally, if you can do that with a storytelling manner, can actually help you differentiate big time in your strategy. And I think one of the best guys who does this really, really well is Russell Brunson from ClickFunnels. I mean, he's almost templatized this and he's actually teaching people how to do it, which is his epiphany bridge. He says that with every lesson or every value or story that you tell, You've got to have like an epiphany, like a moment, like a drop of the hat, you know, something that you realized as context to be able to make that conclusion. And so if you follow that methodology in the way that you create your content and you do your marketing, you are going to be able to press the right buttons with your audience and eventually do what you want them to do, whether it's to buy your course, sign up for your services or to buy your product. So who's doing that well? Who do you see as an example we could relate to that where they're creating that sort of epiphany? Well, like I said, definitely Russell. Again, just going back to guys like YouTubers like Brian Serhan. I mean, guys even like Gary V, obviously very well known, mm-hmm. fantastic storyteller, tells about his context. One of his things is really he's documenting. He's just documenting the journey. He's, he's the one saying, listen, don't worry so much about the place you're at or the quality of the gear or whatever. Just document, share your journey. Mm-hmm. And he'll have these tribe following you and the supporters who are with you on that journey. Yeah, big time. A lot of these influencers, they're accidental businesses, you know? A lot of them have started out just documenting and having fun with the camera. Well, some of them don't have any business. They've got fame and followers, but they don't have a way to monetize it. It's fascinating to me when I deal with some people who have millions of downloads or subscribers, like pound for pound, they're not really making that much profit because they've probably leaned too far on the getting famous part and not having traction. Where it gets really fun is when you have an actual business And then you add the marketing on top. And I think that describes perfectly what Ezra did. Ezra Firestone with his boom by Cindy Joseph products, he incorporated storytelling and content marketing and emails and targeted advertising and really created that incredible aha moment, I think. And I'm not super expert on it, but I think that was that, hey, any sort of maturing lady can feel good naturally with their products. And there's a big market, basically every female in the Western world where they can advertise over a certain age is their market. And they've done particularly well with that. Definitely. I mean, you think of, you know, with the female influencers, for those here in Australia, or maybe even overseas, because she's so well known out, is like Jane Liu from Showpony. I mean, all she does all day, if you go check out her Instagram, is she just documents herself having a blast, you know, whether it's in the office, whether it's at events, you know, studios, what have you. She's just documenting her lifestyle. So I think the common theme is that don't worry too much about having this perfect image. It's just when you have the opportunity, capture what you can 
and in turn, turn that into content because part of that is actually people enjoy the voyeuristic nature of consuming content and they feel like they get to connect with you and they know you so that when people actually switch from non-buying mode to buying mode, for example, you're going to be front of mind if they decide to actually go ahead with your service or your product. There'll be plenty of people listening to this saying, listen, I want to stand out from my competitors. It is saturated, but I don't want to document my program on an iPhone. Like, What options do they have? Well, what I would say to that actually is that forget about the quality. Like, you know, I think I've mentioned it in the past before. It's like an iPhone is totally okay. Any smartphone right now, a half decent smartphone is totally okay. Okay. What if they're shy? <laughs> if they're shy. <laughs> they just don't want to publish stuff. They don't want to be on the camera. They want to be in the background operating their business. Well, to be completely frank, most businesses these days rely on firstly a personal brand first before the company band. People want to actually connect with people on a personal level. And so for those who say, look, I'm either shy or I don't want to do it, then you can't expect necessarily that you'll be able to actually do marketing properly. I think we've gotten to a point now where it's so crucial now to actually have that level of somewhat transparency. I mean, I'm not saying that you need to go out and tell every detail of your life, but there needs to be some snippet or some snack bite-sized piece of your life that you can share with people or your business life for people to actually connect with you. And you don't have to be, I guess, you know, vulnerable about that. You don't have to share your deepest, darkest secrets, but it does require you to a certain degree to share, whether it's your expertise, whether it's your opinion about something, something that adds value to your audience as well. And if you're not comfortable with it, perhaps you may have a team member who could potentially do that, who might be more comfortable. But I suppose the offset of that is that if that team member doesn't stick around, they move on to somewhere else, they're taking that brand with them. So it's super important to understand where the pros and cons are, because I don't think there's necessarily a perfect solution here. You have to have that self-awareness to understand what's good for you and what you're willing to take on. Yeah, look, I spoke to an influencer this morning. He's noticed that sales have eased a little bit now that he is operating a brand more as a business and having team members do it. Understandably, the sales have fallen a bit but he's able to get space from the business and focus on other projects where he can make up that money somewhere else. So how do you approach it? I mean, you and I are in a similar position. You're Can, I'm James, you've got Social Wave, I've got super fast business. How do you dial the mix between the person and the brand and what accounts do you choose to promote when you're doing your own marketing, if you do it at all? Well, I mean, from a front-end marketing perspective, which is that, you know, I'm on your podcast. I have my own podcast that I'm about to launch. You are definitely. Yep. Right. That is, that's verifiable. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we do our own kind of, I guess, PR work, right? And it's done, it's, I mean, Steve Jobs, a lot of ways is Apple. He was also Pixar. He was, yes, he was when he got kicked out and then ended up going back to Apple. So, I mean, you look at guys like, for example, even like Elon Musk and some of these really well-known entrepreneurs, you know, Jeff Bezos from Amazon. And to a certain degree, yes, Jeff is Amazon and Elon is Tesla. Yeah, true. And Bill Gates. Microsoft, yep. Richard Branson. Absolutely. Like we know who they belong to. It's a good point. I think I've underplayed my personal brand. I've been in the shadows. One of my clients sent me a video. He said, listen, you're like the greatest secret ever. You do great stuff. You have amazing results. You're helping people. But you're still very underground. (laughs) I'm like, thanks. Probably, probably that's right. So that's made me wonder, you know, should I be building more of the personal brand and not the business brand and transferring that value of building saleable assets through to my partners, at least with their brands? That's definitely an option on the table. And it's important for someone listening to this to say, look, even a business coach like me so far down the track is still constantly reviewing and assessing the changing landscape. I have seen quite a few people build personal brands much, much bigger than I have in much less time than I have been around. And it does make me 
at least ponder different possibilities. But on the other side, I have a relatively private life and just do my own thing in the background. So it's really you get to dial that mix. But it sounds to me like you're saying if you're up for it, roll up the sleeves a bit and get more personal with your brand, even if it's a business name. Yeah. And I think also it goes back to that self-awareness thing. It's like, you got to understand what it is that you want. You know, celebrities are probably the classic example where a lot of them are famous and broke. (laughs) And uh, on the flip side, you've got these probably very wealthy people who are very unknown. And so for the average, you know, business owner, or let's say, let's, you know, your audience, I think the important thing is to understand it's like, what's the end in mind? What sort of lifestyle, you know, how many hours do you want to work? Do you want the brand tethered to you? Are you planning on selling, you know, the business at a certain stage, you know? I mean, if we're going to be talking about brand name, it's like if you caught it the James Schramko show, you know, trying to sell that would be a lot tougher versus super fast business. It's really hard because it's, no one can spell my surname, Ken. <laughs> and no one can pronounce my last name either. So yeah, we're in the same boat. Whenever I say it, I just start spelling it automatically and then I say, oh, thank you. So that's why james.co is much simpler if I wanted to use that brand. It's right there for me and it's a possible option. It's very, very easy to understand that one. Definitely. And look, I think for the listeners who want to actually have some takeaway with this, I think it's really important to say, look, if you are wanting to focus on how you differentiate yourself and what you should do, I don't think there's still anything better right now than video. I mean, I am biased because I do a video marketing strategy and also video marketing agency. But you know, the repurposing potential of videos, which is what I tell my clients, it's that you can start with a video, you can share your experiences once you get your messaging all dialed in. But the ability to turn that into other forms of contact, you could rip out the audio, turn it into a podcast. You could do graphics and quote cards out of that. You could write an article, repurpose that into, you know, you do it for show notes for your podcast as well. And so the repurposing potential of video to get your message across all the platforms is highly leveraged. It means that, you know, for a lot of our clients, they spend, you know, maybe once a quarter, they smash out 12 to 13 pieces of content for once a week. And it allows them to be basically omnipresent across all of the channels and be able to do that. And then it's just about tweaking and figuring out what works best and which channels tend to work best for them. And I guess ultimately, if your messaging is correct and you've got this system and the engine built on the back end to produce this content on a regular basis, you will naturally win with marketing. And so it's more about putting in the reps and actually going ahead and actually giving it a shot and shipping it out even before you think it's perfect so that you can actually get some data coming back in to figure out what you need to do to tweak to make it better. So if you want to stand out against your competitors and win in a saturated environment, you just get social wave to do all your video marketing stuff. (laughs) Is that right? Well, you could. (laughs) I mean, that's what we basically do. I mean, a lot of our clients are time poor. Mm -hmm. They also strategically need assistance. They need someone to be able to give them guidance and clarity. I think, you know, as business owners, you and I would understand that, you know, sometimes it's really difficult to read the label from the inside of the jar. And um, sometimes it's not so clear. But when you have someone third party come in, externally who maybe ask some of the more fundamental questions in the first principles, they can actually diagnose and figure out what it is that you need to be doing to differentiate yourself. Now, we pretty much, once we've established that and we strategically help clients align and figure out what their strategy is, then it's just a matter of, well, do you want us to take care of the deployment, meaning the production of the content? Or a lot of people do have their own internal teams like yourself and pretty much have that system and they do it themselves as well. Right. So you can help them with strategy or you can help them with strategy and implementation. Absolutely. Both. 
Perfect. All right. You got any final thoughts then on standing up from your competitors? We've really talked about making sure that you find your position in the market that's not sticking you straight in front of a massive competitor. You're steering away from features and going more for the storyteller with the results and branding aspect. Putting that work to stand out from a personal perspective is good if you're prepared to do it. And use videos because videos are they're the medium of the now and the future, I suspect. Ironically, I've just wall-mounted a television, so I'm going to commit to more videos in my future, that's for sure. (laughs) Yeah, look, ultimately, I think where things are at now is that it's no longer about creating that Super Bowl commercial, that big, you know, 30-minute TV spot. And it's more about a consistency and a volume game at a decent quality, right? Like it's not about, you know, I talk about production quality not being as important and more about the messaging. But just being able to stay front of mind all the time is super important because we're at a stage now where it's no longer possible to, I guess, the biggest variable of success where I'm seeing now across the data, across 30 or 40 clients we're servicing is actually the messaging. It's the storytelling. It's not so much about the production quality anymore. And I think marketing is made out to be a lot more complex as it should be. I mean, it's actually quite simple. It's an inherent understanding of having a really deep level empathy of understanding how people actually make decisions. And if you're selling something, how they actually buy what you have to sell. And so if you understand where do they go first, what are the areas that they go to find and research information? What are their pain points? Like I said, what are the things that they need to know? And what are the things that they always asking themselves and people to help them buy decisions? And then mapping your content to do that, you will be able to differentiate yourself. It's very surprising. You will find that most people, despite most businesses doing a lot of marketing, maybe a lot of video content, most of that content's really crap. There's a lot of crap content floating around. I mean, you only need to look at LinkedIn to see just how much crap is out there. And so super important to actually have a real obsession with your customers. I know that's really fundamental when it comes to marketing, but I feel like a lot of people don't quite understand their customers. And even when we sit down strategically to ask them these questions, we say, look, where does your customer live? Where's the attention online? What are they doing? How are they making decisions? You'd be surprised. A lot of businesses don't actually know the answer to that question. And we have to go through that deep dive process to be able to find that information and to establish the right strategy before we go in and deploy that. Yeah, I'm not too surprised by that, but I suspect some of them are probably product first type businesses who would most definitely be pushing features. Like, here's our product here, all the specs and so forth. And they haven't really focused on the customer. Like, I think a high degree of empathy and being able to place yourself in the customer's shoes is a missing art from a lot of business owners. Do it. I know one McDonald's guy who goes and serves on the front line occasionally just to stay connected. Yep. And even in the dealership, I used to walk the floor every day just immerse myself in the environment. So it's, it is important to just keep your finger on the pulse. Ken, this is amazing. This is episode 879. You're from socialwave.com.au. You've been helping us get some tips on standing up from our competitors. Obviously, big hints here are video. If you want some help, get in touch with Ken, socialwave.com.au. And we're going to get you back for a future episode. We'll talk more about this stuff. And if you've got a question for Ken, flick it over to me. Just reply to any email that I send out. The question for Can anything to do with marketing, agency stuff, video stuff, strategy, and we'll address it on one of these podcast episodes. Thank you so much. Thank you, James. Thanks for having me. Discover how to build your business super fast. Check out superfastbusiness.com.